Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and it was a Sunday for statements here in week seven. Let's get right into it. No need to dilly dally. You know the drill. We call this the Sunday six. We're going to take you through the biggest storylines coming out of a busy weekend and the theme for week seven easily two big matchups, two big statements, two convincing wins. Not really as dramatic as we might have been hoping for. Let's start with the most recent one, Sunday Night Football, the Philadelphia Eagles scoring a very impressive win against the Miami Dolphins. Miami goes up to the link. They fall 31-17 to the Eagles in the Kelly Green. Maybe the best look in football. I know there are going to be some teams that have something to say about that. The Chargers come to mind. I'm a big fan of the Patriots throwbacks, but man, the Eagles and the Kelly Green looking real nice in route to an impressive win. And the crazy thing is, stop me if you've heard this before, the Eagles, particularly the Eagles offense, didn't even look that good. It's Groundhog's Day up here. I feel like I get up here every Monday and I talk about how I expected more from the Eagles, but they're six and one and they just beat down the best offense in football. Jalen Hurts, the, the crux of the issue, Jalen Hurts with two big turnovers on Sunday night is a tip ball pick six in the third quarter that kind of lets Miami back into this game. He also had a fumble that set up a Miami field goal. Eagles offensive line. Remember Lane Johnson got banged up against the Jets last week. They looked like a unit dealing with some injuries. They average just 2.9 yards per carry and they give up an uncharacteristic three sacks. We'll see how they chart it. I don't want to speak too, too soon, but Lane Johnson potentially giving up his first sack in since 2020. So in three seasons and yet the Philadelphia Eagles win by 14 points. The miscues don't even matter that much. The thing that's going to stick with me from this game is just that the Eagles beat up the Miami Dolphins metaphorically as well as literally like as if it wasn't bad enough that the Eagles took it to them. Also took some Miami players out of the game here that that had an impact on it. I'll get to that. Isaiah Wynn, the Miami left guard, Austin Jackson, the Dolphins right tackle leaving this game. Jackson comes back. Let's let's start there. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the Eagles defense for however I might have wanted more from Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense, the Eagles defense, a unit that has been beat to hell, struggling, particularly in the secondary for a lot of this season. They go up against a Miami team that's averaging 500 yards and 37 points per game. And they just took it to them, man. I'm not exaggerating when I say the Dolphins finished with basically half of all of their totals, 244 yards of offense, 17 points. Dolphins managed just one real touchdown drive in this game. 72 yard drive that ends with a Tyreek Hill, a really pretty Tyreek Hill touchdown throw and, and catch from Tua Tungavailoa. But I said it a minute ago, 10 of their 17 points come off of a pick six and a Jalen Hurts fumble, which the Dolphins needed seven plays to go one yard. They wind up kicking a field goal. The Dolphins could not run the ball outside of a handful of Raheem Mostert carries to a tongue of Iloa pressured consistently on third down, could not find time to throw and forced throws when he did have time. The last of those ruining the Dolphins best shot to pull the upset early in the fourth quarter. Miami's down 24, 17 third down from the Philly 24 Miami got to the Philly red zone. Just one time on the night, by the way. Tua 
I thought it was a little bit of a forced throw or at the very least a late throw. He chucks it up to the end zone. Darius Slay comes down with it. And from there, the lasting image of this Philadelphia team, 20 years from now, whether they win a Super Bowl or not, or wherever it goes from here, when I think of this era of Philly football, it'll be this type of thing. A 13-play, 83-yard touchdown drive. The Eagles get it to fourth and short twice. Nick Sirianni says, eh, we're just going to go for it. We're going to do the brotherly shove thing that we do so well, and it's going to work, and there's nothing you can do about it. I'm stealing this point from my good friend, Mina Kimes, but it, it, it it's so true. How much does it weigh on a defense knowing that you can't even let the opposition get to third or fourth and one? You, you, you've, you're defending eight yards, not 10 yards, because the, if they get within two, Philly's going to go for it, and they're going to get it. It's got to be absolutely demoralizing. And then after you get a couple short conversions, you get down near midfield, you take a shot to A.J. Brown. Of course he comes down with it. It's what he does. A.J. Brown now with five straight games of 125 receiving yards, ties Calvin Johnson for the longest streak doing that since the AFL-NFL merger. Eagles get down near the goal line. Kenny Gainwell does the rest. It's 31-17, just like that. 13 plays, 16 plays, 17 plays. Doesn't matter what it is. Nobody's better at staying on the field than the Philadelphia Eagles, and they close this thing out in just brutal, efficient style. It's like watching a steamroller, and they do it to to good teams. I, people are going to say the Dolphins haven't beaten anybody. It's the NFL, man. Five and one, 500 yards of offense. That matters no matter who you're doing it against. And it is very impressive that a much maligned, much maligned defense was able to slow them down. An offense that's been up and down recovers from a couple big miscues and they just do their thing in crunch time. I will say I can hear Miami's counter and it is a fair one. Left tackle Teron Armstead doesn't play in this game. Center Connor Williams doesn't play in this game. I already mentioned that Isaiah win and Austin Jackson left this game. Dolphins offensive line beat to hell. Jalen Waddell exits this game with a back injury and comes back. Cornerback Xavier Howard missed this game with an injury. Was this a full force Dolphins team that went up to Philly? No, but that's life in the NFL. Again, the Eagles defense, despite getting some guys back for this game, has been a mash unit all season long. Dealing with injury is unfortunately a very big part of a game this physical and the Eagles out physical, the dolphins we'll see whether it means anything. If the dolphins can get healthier, cause we talked about it last week. I think they will. I still think the dolphins have a lot of good football in front of them. They've got another big opportunity to prove themselves with the chiefs coming to town, but a physical statement win for the Philadelphia Eagles, they get to six and one. They remind everybody, Hey, yes, we blew it against the Jets. We're still a pretty damn good team. And I'll say it one more time. I don't think they've fully hit their ceiling yet. And that remains a very scary thought because the Eagles at 80% are still six and one and have just put together a convincing win of what was the best offense in the NFL. The other big matchup of week seven happened earlier on Sunday and was an even more lopsided beat down Baltimore whipping the Detroit Lions 38 to six. My guys, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson were on the call. They had the entire second half to think up what they wanted to say. Guys, take it away. An unbelievable performance by Baltimore. And they just boat raced the Lions right out of the gate, went right down the field in the opening drive. And that's what they did pretty much every drive. 
and they told us from themselves, you know, trying to figure it out and they haven't totally clicked yet. If they look like this, what does that mean for the rest of the AFC? Well, I think that's the question. I think if, if they're onto something, if this is the vision unfolding of this new look, uh, you know, Baltimore Ravens offense led by Lamar Jackson with the way their defense has played pretty much all year. That is a scary thought for the other teams in the AFC because that team we just saw today dismantle the Lions. That's about as good a team as we've seen all year. You put that offense to go with a top five defense. Yeah, these Ravens now five and two feeling pretty good right now. Lions, hey, they've been great this year. Obviously came in. They were undefeated on the road. They, they weren't very good. See if they get back on the horse. They're now five and two as well. I'm going to be brutally honest. I saw this game as much more of a statement opportunity for the Lions than the Ravens. And it's it's not because I didn't think the Ravens could win. It's because we already know so much about the Ravens. We have so much trust in who the Ravens are. Remember, despite the five and one start, the Detroit Lions are not used to this. They're not used to big spotlight games, five and one starts to seasons. They are not regulars in the playoffs. Say what you will about what happens once they get there, but we can count on the Ravens to be there at the end of the season. 57 and 31 since they drafted Lamar Jackson. Unanimous MVP for their quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Playoffs for the last five years. I just didn't think the Ravens could do anything that would surprise me. I already viewed them as a team that belonged. Boy, was I wrong. Because regardless of how good you are or how much I might trust you, a complete destruction like this, a game where you literally have things in hand midway through the second quarter, is just not something you expect to see, even from the NFL's elite. We were just talking about how impressive the Eagles were. They didn't put their game away until the end of the fourth quarter. That's what life in the NFL is supposed to be like. It's not supposed to be the Ravens getting the ball and going on touchdown drives of 75, 68, 92, and 80 to open this game. By the way, first and only team in the league this year to open a game with four straight touchdown drives. If that's not enough, they hold the Lions without a first down until the game is 28 to nothing. It's not a stretch to say that everything after halftime was just an exercise in killing clock and terrorizing Jared Goff. And terrorize Jared Goff, they did. Lions had 97 yards at halftime. Jared Goff sacked five times by the Ravens defense. Let's, let's talk more about the Ravens defense. We'll get to the offense. That's going to be the, the thing that generates headlines for the rest of the week. But man, for a team that I thought needed more help on the pass in the pass rush heading into the season, the Ravens continue to do it with just a, a cast of characters. Kyle Van Noy, the recent addition veteran, gets two sacks. Justin Matabike, the defensive tackle, who I don't view as a household name. More people should be learning the name, but Justin Matabike leading the team in sacks this year. Jadeveon Clowney looks like he's five years younger playing in this defense. But as I just said, I mean, that's, that's been the story. That half of the ball has been incredibly surprising. All not, not surprising, excuse me, impressive all season long. Only one opponent scored more than 20 points against the Ravens. Again, five sacks of Jared Goff puts them unquestionably in the lead in the NFL 29 on the season, despite not having that household name, be it Nick Bosa, be it TJ Watt, be it Miles Garrett, don't have that guy continue to dominate. This was a Lions team that was moving the ball at will heading into this game and had no luck. But let, I mean, let, let's go with, with the big change. And that is finally a Ravens offense that a not only put it together, 
but but click things into gear in the offense that that we've been begging to see. Remember the the criticism of the Greg Roman offense was this is such a run oriented offense. This is not a wide open attack. This is too much 21 personnel and 12 personnel purposefully trying to just keep the ball and keep the score down. Not, not against the lions. Not when Lamar Jackson is accounting for nearly 400 yards all on his own three touchdowns, the receivers that the Ravens added, it all looked so good on paper in the summer. And to this point, none of it had truly clicked. Odell Beckham getting involved in this game. Speaking of guys turning back the clock, looking like he's got some of that quick twitch and direction change ability that we remember. Nelson Aguilar with a red zone touchdown. Rashad Bateman with two big catches. Zay Flowers is going to continue to be part of the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year conversation. We know all about Mark Andrews. We'll get to him later in the show. If the Ravens can do this on offense, like Greg and KB said, we know the defense is good enough to shut down or at least limit damn near everybody. If the Ravens can do this on even a somewhat consistent basis, they immediately become somehow on a different level than I already thought possible, and I already viewed them as a top I don't know, eight or so team in the NFL. When you can do this to a team that's on top of its division, it says something completely different. Now we see how they respond. They're already a a, a team that you get up for again with Lamar Jackson. Obviously you're taking the Baltimore Ravens seriously, but just like the lions the week before them, I think the Ravens are now the talk of the NFL. We were waiting for a game like this and we got it. We will see how they respond because I, I guess I thought that I thought the Ravens were good, but now that I know what they're truly capable of, I think you have to raise their ceiling and say, this is one of the handful of best teams in the NFL, provided they can consistently click like this. Don't worry, Ravens fans. I am not quite done with your impressive win yet because the next item on the Sunday six is something we're calling the coach's spotlight. It's where we highlight a coaching performance, a coaching decision that stood out on Sunday. Today's coaching spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. It is the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach-to-coach communications. Like I said, some weeks maybe we'll talk about a third or fourth down decision. We'll talk about in-game strategy. Today, I want to highlight two. We'll, We'll even say two coaches specifically, and that is, for my money, the stars of the show in Baltimore Sunday. Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator Todd Munkin and defensive coordinator Mike McDonald. Now, this happens every year. You get to know the the hot names in the coordinator circles. D'Amico Ryan, Mike McDaniel, all these guys that go on to become head coaches. Names to know right here, in my opinion. And a win like that against Detroit highlights it. I want to start with Mike McDonald, the, the Ravens defensive coordinator, because off the top of my head, one of the the darlings in coordinator circles is Lions offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, and rightfully so, the Lions offensive scheme, innovative, fun, points, yards galore. You did not see it against Mike McDonald and his guys on Sunday. The Ravens shut the Lions down. They get one touchdown on the day, and it was long after the game was out of reach. The Lions were absolutely relentlessly flustered by Mike McDonald's guys. And I alluded to this a minute ago, the Ravens are just 
sound. Like as far as top of the league units go, at least in terms of household names, this is a group that you would say is lacking. Roquan Smith is the star of the show. One of, if not the best linebackers in the NFL, manning the middle of this thing. But the rest of this is just a hell of a supporting cast. And by the way, a group that has been insanely injured this season, Marcus Williams didn't play in this game. That's unfortunately been a theme for the season. Marlon Humphrey, their star cornerback has been out at times this year, missed the first few games of the season, banged up all over the place. And it hasn't mattered. Like I said, haven't allowed only allowed one opponent to score more than 20 points this season. They lead the league in sacks. Mike McDonald, a fan of bringing pressure. He pressured Jared Goff relentlessly in this game. The Ravens all over the Lions. And, and this, this has been a theme. Baltimore going up against, hey, the win against C.J. Stroud in week one all of a sudden looks a hell of a lot better. They get the better of Joe Burrow and the Bengals. They get the better of the Cleveland Browns. And now probably the, the crown jewel to this point they absolutely beat up on the Detroit Lions. Mike McDonald, I have a feeling we're going to be talking more and more about him as the season goes along because, and I, I hope I don't sound like I'm saying the Ravens don't have any talent on their defense. They definitely do. But in a league where we talk so much about the, the gravitational force players, the field tilters, I would argue the Ravens just have a collective of badass tough guys that that play as a unit. It's incredibly impressive to see. And then Todd Monken, one of the dominant storylines, the Georgia offensive coordinator coming out of the college game. And the funny thing is Ravens fans will probably tell you the offense has largely been good all season. The Ravens are top 10 in yardage and scoring for the season. Like I said, it just hasn't all clicked into place until week seven. And now we see the devastating results of what it looks like when receivers are catching balls, when drives are finishing with touchdowns instead of field goals. The Ravens had more red zone touchdowns Sunday against the Lions than they had in the last two weeks combined. If they convert even half of their red zone opportunities in London against the Tennessee Titans, they win that game by 30 points. And maybe we're not talking about them as almost an afterthought in this statement opportunity by the Detroit Lions. Lamar Jackson, because of the stop-start nature of this offense, because they had been unable to finish drives in the end zone, pretty pedestrian stats for a guy who's won a unanimous MVP. But Lamar Jackson absolutely should be in the thick of the MVP conversation. If we keep in mind that a quarterback has won it every year for a decade now, he is playing like one of the best five quarterbacks in the NFL, probably the best three if you're talking about consistently over the course of the season. Six incompletions against the Lions, seven yards short of 400. I wish, I wish he had had like a seven-yard rush just to get the even 400. Showed his maneuverability. He can still scramble and pick up plenty of yards on the ground when he needs to, but shame on anybody that thought Lamar Jackson couldn't carry an offense with his arm devastating from the pocket against the lions and has been for most of the year. The problem was the touchdowns. You're not always going to go five of six in the red zone, but if they can do that on an even remotely consistent basis, a, the Ravens are going to be incredibly hard to beat. B Todd Monken is going to be an even bigger storyline than he already is Two very, very impressive performances 
from the Ravens coordinators. We'll see how they follow it up with the entire NFL world buzzing about them moving forward. Moving along in the Sunday six, we're doing the same item as last week, but for very different reasons, we need to talk about Bill Belichick and oh, what a difference a week can make. If you think back to this time a week ago, I sat right on this microphone and said it. The New England Patriots had just dropped another game to the Las Vegas Raiders. They were one in five. Things looked about as bleak as they have in New England in several generations. And I wondered aloud, not just me, I think the entire NFL community wondering what the future holds for Bill Belichick. Fast forward to this weekend and even before the Patriots upset their division rivals, the Buffalo Bills, word leaks out that Bill Belichick has agreed to a contract extension. Not only that, it was agreed to during the offseason. It's been in place. Gotta love for all the publicity and all the eyeballs that are on the NFL coaching contracts. Still one thing that seemed to elude the public eye more often than not. But yeah, Bill Belichick turns out he's been under contract this whole time. He's clearly gotten a vote of confidence from Robert Kraft and the Patriots organization. And how does he follow that up with his 300th career win regular season against the Buffalo bills? Just the third NFL coach to reach 300 wins. The other two, Don Shula, George Hallis, two of the best to ever do it. And just for good measure, I do love that this comes of all teams and of all spots to do it. It's Buffalo, a team that he's tortured so much over the years, 37 and 11 now against the Bills. And he did it as the biggest underdog of the weekend. Seven, seven and a half to eight and a half points, depending on when you got it. One of the biggest spreads of the weekend. Patriots get the win at the death, 29 to 25. Some last minute heroics by Mac Jones. It's, it's a strange story, in my opinion. It seems strange that this would leak now. A one and five start as bad as it's been for the Patriots since before Tom Brady was the starter. More speculation about his future than ever. Why now and who did it? Does it come out on the side of ownership and Robert Kraft as a vote of confidence, as a way of saying, hey, leave our guy alone? He's he's won six Super Bowls. He's not going anywhere. Maybe the Patriots ownership front office wants to give the locker room uh, a sense of direction, uh, a show of faith that, hey, you're not going to change coaches midseason. This franchise has a direction. Maybe it's hard for me to imagine Bill Belichick playing media games. Maybe that's just being naive. Maybe Bill Belichick leaks it as a way of saying, ha, jokes on you. I signed that extension months ago. And if they want me out of here, they're going to have to pay me a boatload to do it. Maybe Robert Kraft wants people to know, hey, if you want Bill Belichick, if you think I'm going to fire him, you're going to have to give me something in a trade. Maybe it's all leverage play. I honestly have no clue. But it it does make me smile to see Bill Belichick hold Stephon Diggs to his lowest yardage total of the season. Patriots offense looks as good as it has since week one. I was so high on Mac Jones coming out of week one. Patriots lose to the Eagles, but Mac Jones throws for 300 yards. They've got a shot to win the game at the end. You say, hey, these guys have something. It disappeared somewhere in the last month, but even acknowledging that the Bills' defense is very, very banged up. Maybe this could be the start of something. Mac Jones, 25 of 30 for 272, and this time he does get 
the last second touchdown to go on top of the Bills. You can't, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. I know that's their whole ad campaign, but I keep coming back to it. I don't know what it means. And and to be clear, this isn't college football where you've got to beg boosters to raise money for you if you want to fire the coach. Bill Belichick could have signed an extension in August. And if the Patriots go three and 14, all Robert Kraft has to do is decide he wants to fire him and he can. NFL owners typically, especially Robert Kraft, can raise that type of cash if they want to. But it's just interesting that all this time, Bill Belichick had signed a new deal. We knew nothing about it until halfway through their worst season, at least their worst start to the season in 20 years. And as soon as that comes out, the Patriots get one of the most surprising wins of the season. Typical Patriot fashion. We'll see where it goes, but Bill Belichick, I was, I was here trying to dismiss you a week ago, and that's exactly why I was reluctant in the first place because as soon as you say something like that, you remember why the guy's got one of the best resumes in NFL history. Next up, I have to ask you a question for the next item on the Sunday Six, and that's, did you know Sunday was a holiday? Did you know it was National Tight Ends Day? You should now after what we saw, which I'm convinced there's like some secret committee that makes all this stuff up. I don't know how every day of the year became a day. I'm sure there's some engagement farming motive behind it. Somebody's just making money off of our hard-earned clicks with all of these days. But man, from the minute I saw Greg Olson wearing the National Tight Ends Day chain and I saw Rob Gronkowski shooting confetti in the Fox Studios downstairs... I had a feeling it was going to deliver and boy, did it ever a huge day for tight ends across the NFL. None bigger than Travis Kelsey, 12 catches for 179 yards and a touchdown in the chiefs. Big win against the LA chargers, Kansas city, really grabbing control of the AFC West on Sunday afternoon at Arrowhead stadium. I mean, the, the, the stats, could go on forever at this point. I mean, which one do you want? Do you want that? It was Travis's second straight game with a hundred yards. Do you want that? It was the, his touchdown was the 50th touchdown connection between he and Patrick Mahomes. It's the fourth most by a quarterback and a tight end. Do you want that? Travis Kelsey now joins Shannon sharp as one of two tight ends in NFL history with five career games of 150 yards. I thought he was going to go for the record. Shannon Sharp holds it at 214. I really thought he had a shot. He falls just short. I don't think he's going to complain. Kansas City Chiefs take care of business in the division. And oh, by the way, Taylor Swift was there again. As Andy Reid said afterwards, Taylor can stay around as long as she likes. I would agree. Travis Kelsey averaging 99 yards per game in the what is it? Four games that Taylor Swift has attended and only 45 when she's not there. Yeah. You can tell me you're sick of, of Taylor Swift mania all you want, but Travis Kelsey sure does seem to respond to having her in the audience. Taylor, keep it up. He was not alone. I already mentioned Mark Andrews, but deserving of another shout out perennially overlooked when we talk about best tight ends in the NFL, in my opinion, but four catches for 63 yards, two touchdowns, both of them in the red zone. As I said earlier, Ravens solving their red zone woes in a big way against Detroit. Mark Andrews should have probably three other touchdowns 
just bad luck in the red zone this season. Almost doubled his touchdown total for the season in one afternoon. Good on you, bud. Elsewhere, over on the East Coast, Darren Waller, looking like the guy that the New York Giants were hoping for when they traded for him. He goes seven catches for 98 yards and a touchdown against the Washington Commanders. Easily his best day as a New York Giant. They beat Washington 14 to 7. 25% of Waller's production on the season coming against Washington in one afternoon. Dallas Goddard staying in the NFC East. Talked a lot about A.J. Brown at the top of the show. Dallas Goddard catches five for 77 and a touchdown against Miami, continuing to do his thing. Two big rookies, Dalton Kincaid and Sam Laporta. Dalton Kincaid, eight catches for 75 yards against New England in a losing effort. Another losing effort, unfortunately, is Sam Laporta, still getting six for 52 in the loss to Baltimore. Is that Dalton Kincaid? Yeah, it sure was. Best day of Dalton Kincaid's rookie season. Obviously, I'm sure he'd prefer to have the win, but for a Buffalo team that needs something on offense, maybe a good sign to see the Bills' first-round pick really coming on strong here the last couple of weeks. And, oh, by the way, two of the best tight ends in football, C.J. Hawkinson and George Kittle, haven't played yet, so I have a feeling we could be talking about this again tomorrow. National Tight End Day. Who knew it's a thing? In a league that's dominated by offense, it would be easy to wrap up the Sunday Six with some pretty boy quarterback, but we would be remiss if we didn't close out the show talking about one Miles Garrett. Now, to be clear, in a game that featured 77 total points and eight lead changes, it would be wrong to say that one defender, Miles Garrett, did it all by himself in the Browns' 39 to 38 win against the Indianapolis Colts. We've got to credit big plays from the likes of running backs Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt, the rest of the Browns' defense. And yeah, as Colts fans would probably like me to point out, there's a couple officiating decisions in there that helped us get here. Forget all of that. It's not often you're ever going to see a single defender do so much. And it's why I'm thinking about Miles Garrett as an NFL Defensive Player of the Year frontrunner And right now, at least somebody hovering on the fringe of the MVP conversation. If you didn't see it, what I'm calling the most, the single most impressive game by a defender this season, Miles Garrett gets nine tackles, two sacks, strips Colts quarterback Gardner Minshew twice. One of those is recovered in the end zone for a Cleveland touchdown. He bats a pass. He hits the quarterback a couple more times and the coup de gras, he leaps over the line and blocks an Indianapolis field goal. He is the first player since 2000, which is when they started keeping track of this stuff. Might have even be further than that. First player to record multiple sacks, multiple strips, and a blocked field goal in the same game. It's the biggest holy game we've seen from an NFL defender this year. I can hear you, Steeler fans. I'm sure you're angry. Yes, T.J. Watt has eight sacks this season. T.J. Watt intercepted Matthew Stafford in the third quarter of the Steelers' win against the Rams. It set the stage for that win, not awarding Miles Garrett 
anything in October. But when the time comes, this is the type of performance that's going to weigh heavily on your resume to exert that much of an influence on a game. This is what I was talking about when I was talking about Baltimore earlier. Baltimore, amazing defense. Very few defenses have a guy that can do something like this. TJ Watt on that short list. Micah Parsons perhaps on that short list, although we've never seen him do quite this much to swing a game in his team's favor. When you think about blocking a field goal and directly scoring a touchdown in the end zone, I mean, that's that's a 10-point swing all on your own. And remember, Miles Garrett's other strip of Gardner Minshew resulted in a Cleveland touchdown drive. That is an enormous, enormous impact. It's the type of thing that you just don't see that often from one defensive player. It reminds me of 2014. J.J. Watt finished second in the MVP voting behind Aaron Rodgers off the strength of performances like this. Not saying that Miles Garrett can keep it up, but if he could turn in a couple more performances like this and continue to just play the good football that he's been playing all season long, I'm not counting him out of any conversation. Seven and a half sacks on the season. One of the most impressive games I've ever seen from a defender. I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that the Cleveland Browns beat the Indianapolis Colts 39 to 38. And on a day when the Browns dominant defense actually surrendered quite a few yards and points, Indy put up almost 500 yards of offense, but miles Garrett said, absolutely not. Like I said, Colts fans, I hear you. Maybe, maybe some, maybe some flags staying in some pockets or that should have maybe some questionable decisions at the end, but miles Garrett take a bow, my dude. And maybe just maybe we're definitely going to see you in the NFL defensive player of the year conversation. Maybe the MVP conversation. If you can do something like that one or two more times this year, hell of a job. All right. That does it for the Sunday recap, but don't you worry. We've got plenty more content. We've got another episode of Ask Glazer with the man himself, Jay Glazer, coming up right after this. We will be back tomorrow. We've got Niners Vikings to wrap up week seven. We'll get into the power rankings. And whatever news comes our way, you know it's always something in the NFL. Another riveting Sunday. Thank you so much for recapping it with me. Please go follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't. Wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you digest your NFL content, you can find us. Y'all, I appreciate it so much. I will catch you next time. All right, it's time once again for another episode of Ask Glazer with who else but our resident NFL insider, Jay Glazer. Jay, what's up, man? It'd be awkward if they asked someone else. It, right? Ask Glazer. It's in the name. Right. It's in the name, guys, of course. Yeah. So we've got Jay Glazer yeah, here to help you. us out. Yeah, it fits. Starting this off, I love, I love big picture questions from... NFL white 121. Sure. If the Cardinals have a top two pick, will they move off of Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray famously uh, returning to practice this week. But what do you think the long-term picture is there? Not only return to practice, took actually first team reps in practice. I love it. This past week, right? So it was, I would say somewhat of a a fast recovery, a little faster from, you know, shockingly to me, to me, at least for the way he plays also. I think a lot of people thought, okay, they're just going to move on from him. They're going to get it like a Caleb Williams or Drake May. I don't think 
that's their plan now. I think they've kind of looked at it and said, no, there's somebody that maybe we can build around. If you have those, you know, those early draft picks too, to give them more weapons. Um, but that right now, I think they want to see what they have in them. And, you know, look, their next three defenses they're playing, they're, it's tough defense. I think it's you know, Baltimore, Cleveland, San Francisco. So it, it's tough, you know, but I can't see him returning within about a month. And, I, and then, by the way, then over the next, you know, month or two, then you kind of know what you have a little bit better. Sure. Right now, you can't really make the decision. But I think their mindset going in is, hey, if we can kind of you know, see what we got with the with the skill set of Kyler Murray with this coaching staff and see if we can get more out of him. Tyler's got to be a little more excited, too, with what Drew Petzing and that offense right. have done here over the first six weeks. Question number two from James wants to know, with Debo Samuel out for at least the next two games, do you see Ray Ray McLeod or Ronnie Bell stepping up? How do you see the Niners kind of replacing that production? I don't see anybody replacing him. You don't <laughs> replace Debo Samuel. No. Replacing what, an know, alien. People, people yeah. Almost, yeah, pretty much. When people almost just assume, okay, well, I, I know it's a next man up game, but there's certain people you just can't step up for and replace. So there, there's going to, and they're banged up. Trent Williams is banged up there. You know, uh, Christian McCaffrey, he's banged up, even though he's going to, you know, play in this game. Uh, they're still banged up there, but a guy like Debo, you, no, you don't replace him. Do you think, I mean, they just did the McCaffrey deal last year. Like no. you, you roll with the guys that you have though, you think, right. Or no, Well, listen, the 49ers, like you just look at certain GMs, you know, they're aggressive. John Lynch is aggressive. Howie Roseman's aggressive. There are certain guys who are just going to be aggressive and call around everywhere. And those are two of the guys who are calling around everywhere, which we'll, we'll get to Howie in a second, but that's worth noting. Question from Cornelius Jack. Love this. Never thought we'd be talking about it. The Houston Texans, are they buyers at the trade deadline? No, I don't see that happen. I still think they're in rebuild, probably more draft. Yeah, you know what? I'm kind of stumped here that someone asked if the Texans are buyers. Because, you know, who saw that coming? Yeah, I just didn't see that one coming. But uh, I just haven't heard their name as being buyers. I think it. Like you, when I call around, you know, I ask a lot of teams, and they tell me, oh, this is just calling, this is not calling, this is just... And so, you know, it's interesting, too, because certain GMs, they know they're going to call, and they're going to they're gonna offer something, like, ludicrous and just hope somebody takes it, like, hey, you know, would you trade us? You know, basically the best player in football, we'll give you a fifth rounder that'll change sure. to a fourth if you make the Super Bowl, things like that. You know, it's just, yeah, but, you know, the Texans aren't one of those teams. Texans are actually the opposite. They're not one of those teams that, Call around at all. And even when you do try and call and try to trade for them, it's kind of a, a slow roll. Win for them. Just but man, how about the job D'Amico's doing down to, there? To be in the conversation he that maybe they want to add at the trade deadline. Yeah. To, to, you know, it seems like changing culture there already, which is what they needed. Absolutely. Phenomenal job by D'Amico Ryan. Incredible job. All right. I, I knew him as a player and then obviously as a coach. And, you know, I think what guys want now is they want authenticity. That's why a guy like Dan Campbell works so well. And, Think about this. You know, we have our 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 lifeline here, our cell phone. Sure right? do. Yeah. There's nothing real on this. Nothing authentic. We're looking at everybody else's filtered fraction of a second in their highlights on Instagram and, and and Facebook or on Twitter. Just all this hate. So when you have authentic guy walking in, like I think young players now they just crave uh, crave authenticity, and it works. That's why a guy like D'Amico works so well, or, or Dan Campbell works so well. I think and. I think it would work regardless. I don't mean to have a therapy session here. With no, but I, I'm, I think it's interesting. I think it works regardless. And then, you know, like I, Mike McDaniel is in that conversation. Mike McDaniel is in that conversation. But yes. I think it probably, Absolutely. it resonates even harder. Yeah. D'Amico and Dan played NFL football yeah. at a high level. I'm sure yeah, that resonates. It, well, it, somewhat, you know, but I just think 
like you said, it's it's this, um, it's the authenticity, and, and I think the the old style of we're going to beat you down, beat you down, beat you down doesn't work because they are seeing so much hate on this. They're seeing so much hate on Twitter or X or you know what it's called now. Seeing so much you know negative comments, so I, I don't think that resonates as much. I think guys now kind of need to get loved up a little bit more. Maybe these younger X players, right? It, it does resonate a little bit more with what they'd probably want to get coached by i think that is a really good point and like the way society at large it's different than when a lot of older coaches were coming up i love that point i mentioned we would get to howie roseman question from bill he says they're trying to buy i mean that there we go (laughs) like we i mean if you're an eagles fan you should know how he's already active but i think for me anyway the the focus point seems like it should be or yeah secondary yeah they're still they're calling around trying to get some secondary help already yeah, you think uh, they're, they're being aggressive? It just—it just seems like a matter of when, not but, but if. They're to me. Call, they're calling, you know, for you know, look. Carolina has Jeremy Chin. If you know, even like a Patrick Sertan, who I, I think it would take way too much. So it's not a shot, but I think the Eagles will call about everybody like that. I I just love. We can answer that question. We don't know who it's going to be, but like, yeah, Howie Roseman's working the phones. Yep. That's what he does always. Uh, Sam, with hey, a- listen, Howie Roseman got that trade done for AJ Brown. The morning of the draft, that first round, yeah. and had to get a contract done for him. Still, while while they were on the clock, like I, th- I think they did it while it was on the clock. Still, but like it's how aggressive you had to be. You had to get the trade done in the during that first round and the first part of the first round, and get a contract extension done. So yeah, he's aggressive. Hey, AJ, cool. Welcome to the right. Eagles. Does twenty five work for you? Like, is no, that fun? Wasn't welcome to the Eagles unless they got a deal worked out. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love it. Uh, all right. Question from Sam about the Bears. Obviously, we'll we'll see how long Justin Fields is absent. It sounds like yeah, he's probably be... probably just a couple of weeks. You know, when the fun dislocated, um, it went back in pretty clean. So the, his question is, what is the, and we'll assume again, it's it's still pretty early in the season, but he says, what is the probability that the Bears do not draft a quarterback if they if both of their picks wind up being? I, very I think it's too early. Ones? I think it's too early. You know, they're still. They're not the team. They're not the. Their front office coaches are not who drafted Justin Fields, so I still think that they're in eval mode. Yeah, and you still got a lot of season left to see if okay, do we think he's going to be the guy or not. It does. Like I, I get it. I get why fans ask these questions, but yeah, I mean, what? No, so it's a legitimate question. I yeah. don't think. I don't think they know the answer. Yeah, and that, I mean, yeah, I've been saying it since the summer. That's Ryan Poles' only, only. No, he didn't. He didn't. But he didn't. Draft. He didn't. He didn't draft it. Right, but and faced it. The whole season has to be about figuring that out. Sure. So why do you make that decision in October if you right. don't have to? That's exactly right. Wrapping it up, you guys did a wonderful job with flag football Sunday morning. Some of us. <laughs> Andrew Rojas wants to know who's your who. Who would your dream flag football team be? And just in general, do I you? T- I start with Usain Bolt. He'd <laughs> <laughs> be my first pick. Do you have just a read? Speed. Do you have a read on like how involved the NFL is going to be with this? I know 2028 no, is an eternity I, I don't know, for me. But I, I think it'll be, you know, like the dream, like for somebody to get a gold medal. I have a lot of friends who are, who are medalists in you know, wrestling and and uh, actually volleyball, water polo. I got a lot of friends. Sure. When, and I've been around a lot of, you know, world title champions in, in, in mixed martial arts and football and stuff like that. But when I see an Olympic medal, I they pull their metal out. I'm like, Oh my God, that is just so next level because yes. obviously it's every four years instead of every year. And it's just, I don't know. It's just something, there's something majestic and glorious about it. And I, you know, like I said, it's forever from now, but I think whether it's current players, guys that are recently retired, like 
the, I think the very best in the NFL. Fast guys, you know, it's going to be sure. on speed, right? It's not going to be. It's not going to be. Hey, let's get a bunch of linemen in there. That's why I say to Sam Bolt, it's going to be the fastest guy. Size mismatches as well, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. tight ends. No. If Gronk wants to play on my flag football team, he is. I agree with you on that. I'm I'm here for it. Jay Glazer. I'm taking Usain Bolt still. Always <laughs> a pleasure, sir. I, although that's probably not. It's, yeah. I don't think we could take it for America, though. Wait, wait, so. I mean, yeah, yeah I guess the Jamaican. Yeah. Well, the Jamaican flag football team. Did. They got. They might have a flag <laughs> football team too. Who knows? Jay Glazer, it's always fun rapping with you, man. We Tyree Kill. Time. We will see you next week. Send Tyree your, Kill. That'll be my first pick. I, I think that's 100 percent right. Mm-hmm. Tyree Kill. If you want to play, even Lamar Jackson. Even in 2020, nah, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, Lamar Jackson. That'd be a good. One. Yeah, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson might have to be, be a good one. I think the internet, like the IOC, might oh, have to four step years in. from now. It is. Yeah. It's almost five years. I'd say Lamar Jackson. We'll see what it looks like. Jay Glazer, thank you so much. Thank you, brother.